Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica, and we're we're back from Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah, it's actually been kind of a long time since we've cast pod together. Yeah, I haven't been on the pod horse in a while. I, my, <laughs> my legs almost forgot how to straddle it, Ben. You had like an overseas trip, and then that led... Almost directly into our trip to Vegas. Been on the road uh, for a long time. To our trip to tour the inside of the pocket, which is <laughs> a nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, uh, I guess we uh, we engineered the trip as as a way to both do a show and go to the con at the same time. I don't think either of us would have just gone to the convention had we not also been doing a show. So it made yeah. for a convenient excuse. It did. I was I think we had the idea of doing a greatest Gen Con at the Vegas during the Vegas convention. Yeah. With the idea that a lot of our peeps would be in town for that. And I was really surprised when we pulled the crowd and like at least half of the hands that shot up were people that lived in Vegas and were, were not particularly convention goers. Yeah, until I saw all of those hands, I, I strongly believe that no one lived in Vegas. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was. I think it was a pretty successful experiment. It was a very fun show and uh, only made me more excited to do the rest of Greatest Gen Con. Yeah, I felt the same way. I thought the show was great. I... You and I have different feelings about Las Vegas itself as a place. Right. <laughs> uh, I had a great time there. Uh, several of yeah, my yeah. friends from Seattle came down to the show uh, because it was Vegas. A lot of the main selling points of Vegas are kind of lost on me. Yeah. But the Star Trek convention, uh, I was really excited to go to. And uh, it was definitely, I mean, like, I've seen conventions like this depicted in film and television a few times but i've never actually set foot in one so it was fun to compare what i imagined it would be like to what it was actually like yeah uh, we saw some amazing cosplay like i would say that that was my favorite part was all of the people that were dressed up and just like really specific like you know mirror universe data or mirror universe Jordy we saw which was really fun uh, those are, uh, of course, characters that were invented by our friend J.K. Woodward, who we also got to meet. He uh, he does those Mirror Universe comic books. Yeah, as like as a socializing event, I think we used it more for that than 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 treating it like the convention that it was. Yeah. It was interesting we to go to this uh, in the same year that I went to my other first convention, going to, to Comic-Con for the first time, the the Emerald City Comic-Con, I should say. Yeah. Uh, was neat to see how similar uh, the two events were. Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, I think that that's kind of part of the selling point, right? Is it's, uh, you know what it's going to be? Yeah, I think, like, the t the way that they were the most similar, I thought, was just with how sincere the love was for the source material. It was really neat to be around so many people who were just thrilled 
to share their fandom with people. Yeah. That, 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 that felt really good and not, not at all uh, cynical. Right. And uh, I mean, it's, it, it really is like a diverse thing, thing. Like there's people of all ages and of all, you know, creeds and colors and sexual orientations and stuff. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's fun to see what a big tent Star Trek is. I think we got a great lay of the land because of a couple of friends of ours who who came down for the convention and to see the show. I'm, by by them, I'm t- I'm talking about our card daddy Bill Tilly and uh, the great Bree Belke. Yeah, Bree is a veteran. I think she this was like her fifth or sixth year, so she she could really you know <laughs> contextualize a lot of what we were seeing you know what was great was like uh to get that momentary pop of being recognized by a stranger uh-huh. and then to see that happen to brie like eight times as often <laughs> <laughs> totally <laughs> like she is a fucking star <laughs> yeah absolutely one of the weird things that we did was we went to and oh and i should say um like obviously there was like a lot of big news at the convention and because this show we kind of want it to be evergreen we'll we'll leave news to greatest discovery which will definitely address that stuff so if you're curious to hear our takes on that just check out a recent episode of the greatest discovery i'm sure the description will say whether or not we're talking about star trek news but uh what i wanted to say was we went to a panel that was hosted by the mission log guys <laughs> they had this panel that was about how do you decide whether or not something is star trek a topic of debate that comes up whenever there's a new star trek thing and people react to it by saying this isn't star trek and that's something that has happened to next generation and, and every series or film that has come out and since the original maybe most especially to the modern star wars films which yeah which I'm, i don't think are star trek <laughs> But the idea of uh, of of litigating whether or not something is a thing that you like based on right. its title, I think, is uh, is familiar to a lot of people nowadays. What did you think of the of Star Trek Las Vegas? Would you go back? You know, I I liked doing a show during it. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm kind of curious about doing that again, and I don't know. I don't know if it would be next year, or the year after, or what, but. Um, I think that the con itself is not a great fit for the things I like to do. Like, and part of this is just that I don't personally have a great time when I'm in large crowds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and it's not like a phobia or anything. It's just not my bag. So um, that part of it wasn't great for me. But, um, you know, if we, if we went back, I would sh- for sure, you know, pay, pay for a day pass and, and go walk around and see the stuff. I mean, the other thing is they had some some fun exhibits. We got to see the costumes from the Mirror Universe sections of Discovery, which was really cool. I mean, part of the part of it though, like the some of the exhibits were very visually impressive, but kind of disappointing. Like they had ten forward built in there, but it was just to take photos in. And then they had this thing called Quark's Bar, which was nominally like where people would drink and hang out during the convention. But that was just a hotel conference room with like some signs that said Quark's Bar. It didn't They didn't like set decorate it at all. And I thought that really kind of, I, th- I thought that was a missed opportunity, you know, like hanging on, hanging out in 
Guinan's 10 forward would be such a thrill. And obviously, like, they're capable of building it. So why shouldn't we be able to just use it for that? So I'd say, like, you know, mixed review from me. How about yourself? I, uh, you know, since returning from the convention, I found myself really liking it more in retrospect than I did at the time. And I think that's because when I was there, it was easy to felt to feel overwhelmed by its scope. I think uh, if I were to do it all over again, I would like to do more convention than we did the first time. Uh, we were only willing slash able due to finances and schedule to to do one ticket on one day. And so it really felt like we were rushing through there to get uh, the flavor of things. I think what I liked the most was like just the evident fraternity of it, you know? Like it was great to be among people who unabashedly love the thing that you love and are so nice and not judgy about it. Like the toxic fandom that you get in other communities uh, wasn't evident to me and was replaced instead with like some real jovial feelings. Yeah, it's really interesting because full disclosure creation entertainment has advertised on our show. Right, but but, uh, the greatest gen boys can't be bought. Can't be bought. And uh, like I would say that the most toxic part of the whole thing was coming from creation entertainment like when i went on their website to Mm. look for tickets i watched their youtube video and it's all bikini babes it's like it makes it seem like the convention is a hundred percent about gawking at scantily clad women which it really wasn't like that's not what the people that showed up were there to do and like the the mission log panel about is it star trek was a little dry but it was really respectful debate and like for the most part, people were saying like, even if Discovery isn't for me, I'm really glad that it's bringing new people into the fandom. Yeah, I would. As far as the things that I that I didn't like so much, I would agree with you on some of the build quality issues at the convention itself. Like the opportunity to build a beautifully rendered ten forward and then to multiply those 10 forwards around the convention seemed like an opportunity lost. Like it's... It's tantamount to, like, getting an action figure and not being able to take it out of the package. Like, all of these neat ideas were so close to being, like, livable and cool. And I think Quark's Bar was the example of something that was just, like, in name only. Like, I I would have preferred they not call it Quark's Bar rather than put a sign above a chafing dish full of hot dogs, you know? Right. The uh, chafing dish full of hot dogs, the prepackaged salad the bowl full of ice with a handful of different sodas in it. Yeah, I mean, Uh, especially because Quark's Bar existed in Las Vegas, what, like 15 years ago? Like, the recipes are there. The the way to do this has been blueprinted. So it was was bizarre to see something that, I mean, and I'm not in event management, so I'm totally talking out my ass here, but you see the number of people (laughs) who go to this and you see the ticket cost... I think they're making money on this. You would hope. <laughs> and it's interesting to see like where that those decisions are made to spend it. I think one other regret I have in addition to uh to not doing more con is that uh, I feel like I left too early. We heard after the fact that there was a there's a pool party on Monday and the pictures we saw from this Star Trek Las Vegas pool party bend were 
crazy. Like oh, Klingons really? I didn't see these. in full loaf in the pool. Wow. Like loaf and trunks. Like just yeah. bobbing around drinking pool drinks there. Uh, it looked like a fun time. That would have been fun. I had no idea that that happened. Cut to like pool closing time and a and a pool boy running one of those long nets through the water, <laughs> grabbing all the left behind loaf. Yeah, the uh, plastic Bajoran earrings that are floating <laughs> floating on the surface. The uh, yeah. bars of fake gold pressed latinum that are clunked on the bottom. Plenty of flotsam and gold pressed jetsam to be yeah. to be scooped out of the water there. Adam, did you have a favorite merch item in the there? I mean, like, there's a huge hall full of yeah. vendors who are selling Star Trek things. What was your favorite thing to see back there? Well, uh, my favorite thing that I saw in the in the merch area was that Wrath of Khan long turtleneck style jacket with the pockets. It's sort of like yeah, these, the the away team jacket that they uh, that yeah. they put on to go down to regular one. There was a company there that sells like what looks like screen accurate wardrobe pieces there. Yeah, and, they were like apologizing for there being a couple of patches missing from this jacket. <laughs> but this jacket was resplendent, and the 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 turtleneck was intense. Yeah, the uh, the the popped collar went all the way up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is, like all of the all the stuff with that kind of quality was super impressive to me. I, th- yeah. I would say those constituted the the highlight from from uh, the props. Uh, what about you, Ben? My favorite was the assimilated tribbles. <laughs> there, there was there was a booth where we saw some uh, some tribbles with Borg implants, and I just love the idea that the Borg would want to. Uh, assimilate the technological and biological distinctiveness of tribbles with their own. <laughs> I think if you're if you're into it purely for multiplication, I think the <laughs> tribble offers you a great opportunity at that. I think you can probably multiply those faster than you can assimilate. The Borg really get a step up when they when they get tribble DNA going <laughs> across the rest of their collective. Uh, with all that said, Ben, did you find yourself a Star Trek Las Vegas drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Oh, man. It might be you, Adam. <laughs> there was a point in the night where I uh, <laughs> asked I asked Brie Belke, hey, uh, where's the bathroom in this crazy hotel? And she directed me past a... Uh, a ven- uh, like a vending booth at the edge of the casino floor that sold nothing but icy booze drinks. <laughs> and uh, as a big fan of icy booze drinks, I thought to myself, you know what I always want is for somebody to come back from some unknowable errand with a with a big old icy booze drink for me. So I brought you back a pink uh, zebra hoof full of margarita. And you were very angry with me. <laughs> I would say maybe the angriest I've ever seen you with me. I have never known how to accept a gift. <laughs> and you're totally right. I was a huge dick to you, Ben. And I'm and I'm so sorry about that. Like, had I taken a step back from that moment and like seen it for the gift that it was. I would have treated you with more appreciation for it. But I, all I could see, I couldn't see past my nose as far as like, I had an entire day's drinking schedule like that I had <laughs> stuck to. And I feel like I did so great up until midnight when that drink showed up. 
And I really felt like I had failed the day when the plastic zebra hoof of Margarita arrived because I knew I would be fucked. And you remember when they uh, had that, that Klingon shuttle pilot aboard the D mm-hmm. and they offered him a drink and he just poured it out on the floor in front of everybody? Uh, that's I don't know what that felt like. <laughs> I am become that Klingon shuttle pilot, destroyer of cocktails. <laughs> Did you have a, a, a drunk convention goer? Yeah, I mean... I shout out to J.K. Woodward. I, I think he's my drunk Shimoda because we made plans to meet him uh, for breakfast on, I think it was the last day we were there or the day before uh, our out day at Star Trek Las Vegas. And he showed up to our breakfast already ready, like, <laughs> like, uh, like enviously already into a Bloody Mary. And I was like, God damn it. I love that. How that guy does convention. Like, yeah, he was He's like, I got a couple of panners, panels later today. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Star Trek convention squad goals out of JK Woodward right there. Yeah, he's uh, he's a good dude. I think he's gonna be a guest on an upcoming Greatest Discovery, and uh, you should definitely check out his TNG Mirror Universe uh, comics, which yeah. are awesome. He gave us a set of the season two of yeah. Mirror Broken that I can't wait to dig into. Yeah, like his his Bloody Mary game was so admirable that I almost <laughs> bought myself a Bloody Mary at that point, which would have been such a mistake. <laughs> Yeah, because we we ordered uh, table French toast in addition to our very large breakfasts yeah. that we each ordered. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Uh, that was a two-meal day for me. That would have really harmed the bottom line on our trip. Yeah. <laughs> We're already at the season two finale, Ben. Can you believe it? I can. I, I mean, we are... It's 26 episodes, so if it's not now, it's never. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. Maybe today might not have ever come. It's season two, episode 26, The Jem'Hadar. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. Jake Sisko has a science experiment of uh, dripping amber-colored water onto plants made out of Sculpey. He's openly growing shrooms, Ben. <laughs> yeah, Ben Sisko does not approve. He says, uh, like, maybe maybe uh, Keiko will not be that impressed with your psychotropic science fair project. <laughs> have we ever thought to... Have we ever compared Wesley Crusher to Jake Sisko? To now, or is this just the beginning of science, Jake, and the point in time where that becomes more of a concern? I don't know. I mean, because we've already talked a little bit about how Jake sees his destiny very differently from the way Cisco does. And I think Cisco was projecting a Wesley Crusher type onto Jake. Yeah, yeah. Jake is resistant to that. I'm a low-tech kind of guy, Dad. But also, like, just from a game theory standpoint, like, if you know that your teacher is a botanist (laughs) and was previously the head botanist of the flagship of the fleet, maybe growing piddly little plants in hourglass-shaped flower pots is not a a way to wow her. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great point. I think he's destined for failure. This is Jake circling the drain and Cisco 
heroically saving him. And yeah. in a way, like in, it's like a dope fatherhood move of like making it seem like it's Jake's idea. If you could do any science project you wanted to, anything at all, what would it be? Yeah, he's clearly read that article in Father of the Year magazine about how to improve <laughs> your son's uh, test scores. And so he sort of sees this failure coming. He looks down at those shrooms and he's like, how about we take a road trip? Do some yeah. science, kind of kind of a bus mentality style. Right. And this is also not necessarily great game theory because if if Jake's dad takes him in a a piece of Starfleet material to the other side of the galaxy to do science, all of the other kids in class are gonna hate him. Yeah. He's gonna be an overachiever. Yeah, I mean I never saw his relationship to Nog as something uh as something sad until this moment. Like, maybe Nog's as good as he can do. Yeah, I mean, like, the the other kids know Jake to be the kid that when when Keiko is wrapping up class for the day, sh- his hand shoots up and goes, uh, did you forget to apl- uh, assign us homework? Or <laughs> <laughs> Ben, when did you start to feel too old to take vacations with your parents? Because it seems oh, man, like Jake a- is that age. I have a vacation with my parents coming up, Adam. <laughs> That's so great that you never grew out of that. Yeah, well, I'm also just coming off of a Are vacation you a hostage? With, with my in-laws. So, uh, yeah, this summer's not going great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like this is definitely the age where you go on a road trip with your parents and you're like... Can I get away with, like, sneaking into the bathroom of our shared hotel room and cranking it, you know? (laughs) Boy, I did not see you going there. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, it's a lot of hormones raging and you're basically in, like, a glass bottle, you know? There's nowhere to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. It's a real, it's like a sitcom setup, you know? Like... This is an episode that takes a hard turn for the darkness, but like the first, I don't know, third, maybe even half are like hijinks, you know? Yeah, it's a real Robert McKee style story. Like, let's combine (laughs) characters that don't fit together squarely and, and stick them in a shuttle and see what happens. Right, because the first thing that happens is like Cisco is making arrangements with his staff about covering his shifts while he's gone or whatever, and uh, and Jake comes in and announces that Nog is coming with them, and then hot on the heels of that, it is discovered that Quark is also coming with them. I'm not sure. Like, did Quark know uh, how to dress? for the weather of where they were going because he shows up in like South Florida carpet remnants. It's a weird combination of like very light and airy, but also very layered. Yeah. He's got like three shirts on and one of them is a boat neck and one of them is like a super low slung boat neck. And then there's a third vest thing. Like That's a lot of, a lot of layers uh, all of which seem to be intended for a a cool breezy garment. <laughs> it's like uh, you know counteracting the point of the of of each garment in layering them. This moment is an opportunity for Cisco to yet again demonstrate that 
while he has command of the station and all the employees there, he really is powerless against his son. Like, I don't see Picard brooking this shit. Uh, had <laughs> had Beverly and he wanted to go on a on a trip, for example, and she brought someone who annoys the hell out of him. It's hard to look at Ben Sisko in this situation and not see the ways that he is is not quite as in charge as Picard. Mm-hmm. One of those ways is that his deep V is just not as deep as a Picard deep V. Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. But Quark really just kind of invites himself on the trip, and it's a no until Jake begs him to say yes, you know? Look, Dad, I know this isn't exactly the trip you planned on. Quark does this thing right at Cisco's face, which is saying, some of my best friends are humans. <laughs> Which I thought was an amazing writer's room turn to camera. Yeah. With that moment. I mean, this is the first... It it, it is not billed as such, but this is the first of an arc of three episodes. Right. And I feel like there is like a race element running through these that is kind of a new... Yeah. Like a, a, a new level of specificity with dealing with that issue in this show and in Star Trek generally. I think that is, that's a new or growing feeling in the ep. I also wonder how much of a pivot has taken place because TNG canonically has ended a couple weeks before this episode. And I wonder if you're mapping out the season, if you're not saying, all right, it's just us now. It's time to really put the pedal to the metal on production value and story value and yeah. like I don't know about you, but even with the musical score, this episode felt like things had changed and things were getting more intense and of greater value across the board. It's such a weird episode for that perspective because it starts with like the tone of a corny sitcom. Yeah. It's like Three's Company pivoting into Platoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like there are so many bits. Like you talked about like... Cause like Quark talking his way into the into the shuttlecraft says the thing about having friends that are humans. He also styles himself a liberal in a way that like it's clear that he thinks that that is gonna be what impresses Cisco into agreeing to let him come. Yeah, but also like like the other side of that comedic premise is is that Jake is really into it, and it sort of. <laughs> It sort of made me wonder, are Ferengi's rap music for Jake? Is it like, is this his like adolescent, you know, distancing himself from his father by getting into something that he, you know, like when I, when I was a kid and like wanted to listen to Busta Rhymes in the car, you know, that was partly because I knew that my parents didn't like it. That's so, I love the equivalency between uh, mushrooms and Ferengi and, uh, and rap music (laughs) And alcohol, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's great. Jake is a, Jake is, his, he's a, he's a bad teen. Yeah. And, uh, and Quark is Mr. Furley. <laughs> so the uh, idea is they're going to go to the Gamma Quadrant and do some planetary scout abouts. And yeah. uh, this is going to afford Jake and Nog the opportunity uh, to get down and get dirty, like to do to do that thing that pool boys do by like grabbing some water and then like shaking it in those little uh, those little vials yeah. to checking the pH, yeah, <laughs> testing for 
urine content. When you're doing science, that's one of the foundational experiments that you do, right? You do pool. Yeah. They uh and the and the pool the pool water that they're testing is on this kind of foresty planet. And uh this was nice outdoor Star Trek. I mean This was not the Cal Hudson planet for sure. No, this is not the Ace Garden Center. They went and shot this in a real forest, which is not like from a production standpoint, this is pretty hard to do because you're not necessarily always close to, you know, power outlets and and whatnot. So, I mean, like shooting shooting in a forest, you've you've got a real problem with light because the light that is not being filtered through the leaves, you know, that's hitting tree trunks mm-hmm. directly and stuff, is so much brighter than the shadows and your characters are most likely going to be in shadows the entire time because if you expose for the bright light everything is going to seem super dark so it's it is very hard to control what is and is not in you know exposed correctly in a shot and uh, i thought they did a great job here i uh i agree with half of your point i think what is inarguable are the challenges associated with shooting outside with a lot of hard light and shadows. Mm-hmm. I think they got it half right, though, because I think Quark looks great. He's obviously like being lit through a scrim and like his his shadows have been knocked down and like he's lit evenly. But yeah. Nog's face looks like a pan of lasagna. And that's because <laughs> they aren't giving him any scrim and he's just being shot with hard light. He looks terrible out in the sun. Huh. I guess I only have eyes for Quark. <laughs> I think it gives what it gives you a great A B in uh how difficult makeup effects are on a location versus on yeah. the more controlled light of the station where you have total control. When you've got that full sunlight on on them, it really betrays all of the all of the seams and everything. Yeah. Quirk is uh, is really uncomfortable on this planet, and uh, he even goes so far as, as to put a bunch of uh, aquafresh toothpaste all over his ears to, I guess, protect them from the sun. I'm is this the equivalent to... of jacking it in front of everybody? God, I don't know. Like, given <laughs> given the testicular sensitivity of his ears, yeah, I guess. Like, it's you know, I like would never you... jack it with toothpaste, though, Ben. I've never been that go... desperate. Yeah, I mean, but you know, desperate that, times, and they're they're re- they're really roughing it. I've never used a mentholated lubricant. Have you? <laughs> don't recommend it. You don't want to use that Parliament brand lube. Let's hope it doesn't have baking soda. Also, <laughs> Ben, it made me sad to recognize that Quark is being a real Adam Pranica camping uh, <laughs> type buzzkill in this situation. Yeah, is this is this a st- a stilo to which you subscribe? I don't know. I I think I think my problem is I need to go real camping. And again, all I've ever really done is music festival camping. Whoop whoop! Last thing about being a juggalo is my motherfucking family. Family! Family! Music festival camping is 200 people sharing a single porta potty. So right. there are drawbacks there. Yeah, which means 199 people standing outside the porta potty wondering when you're going to come out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not a place for those who are bashful. 
<laughs> have you ever caught your your garment on fire like Quark does? No, I haven't. It uh, it affords him the opportunity to do the Quark scream that we've come to know and love. This scene is like I I think a scene that really caused me to question whether I could bring myself to watch any more Deep Space Nine the first couple times I watched this series. Yeah. Because physical comedy is not its strong suit? No. I mean, I think uh, Armin Zimmerman's a great actor, and I think that this is like character appropriate, but that doesn't make it a forgivable use of their time. Do you think in terms of order of operations, in terms of order of emotional operations... It is harder to turn the corner after beginning with comedy and going into drama or starting with drama and going into comedy. I think all of this is to serve to undermine Quark in Cisco's eyes so that he can be redeemed at the end of the episode. Right. And his redemption is cool and feels like a big step when it happens. But um, it's so undignified that... Like, I feel like there's other ways to do it. Like, they could have done more with the, like, the storyline that gets Quark onto this trip is that Quark wants to spend some QT with the commander and talk him into using monitors around the promenade to sell merchandise. It would triple my profits. How could he refuse? Like, he basically wants to, he he wants to open up the billboard business on Deep Space Nine. And Cisco's against it. And, like, I think that Quark being more obnoxious about that or trying it from too too many different angles or something would have been a better way to go than just, like, I'm itchy and I don't like bugs. Like, they even have to address the I don't like bugs thing as being contrary to something that we know to be true about Ferengi, which is that they love bugs. Right. So uh, I guess all that is to say, like, I I don't mind the conceit of let's start with comedy and then take it dark, mm-hmm. but I think that like the comedy these are not comedy writers and the comedy's not that good, so maybe that is why they missed the mark so many times in the first third of this episode. It's also yeah, I mean, and you you actually are making my point in that by saying third of the episode, my point was going to be they don't normally hang on long after the title theme right. in terms of their comedy tone. And I think we're two and a half acts into the show by the time the, by the time it makes the turn. Yeah. So Nog is is pissed off about the whole situation with you know Quark being a doof and Cisco dunking on him. Jake chases Nog off into the woods to to try and console him, and that's when uh, that's when our turn takes place. Right. Because uh, Cisco and Quark are trying to calm each other down but really having a bad time of it when a woman with earloaf and a really wild haircut runs out of the woods <laughs> and uh, she shoots a beam of light out of her chest at Commander Sisko. Power is mine, bitches. Just to get a little hair cast with you for a moment, do you think like do you think her ears are the structure that the hair is resting on? <laughs> Or you mean like from a from a uh, loaf design standpoint, or I mean either from loaf design or actual alien biology, because her hair looks straight, 
And so, like, it's it's sort of piled up in between these two forks that are her ears. I don't know how she's getting that kind of hold without a prodigious amount of spray. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I want to talk more about this hair, but I didn't really think about the internal structure of it. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't really gone deep hair cast in a while. Yeah. I mean... It might just be like an optical illusion. You know, like when you're in like art class in middle school and they say like the eyes are right in the middle of the oval when you're drawing a face and you're like, what? No way. (laughs) And it's like, you can't even look at somebody's face without thinking like, no, the eyes are at the top, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's, there's this crazy cognitive bias thing. I feel like maybe there's a lot more skull under that hair than we even realize. Oh, that I'm willing to believe. That's good yeah. canon. I mean, I, I don't know how this type of alien works yet. Yeah, she's brand new. Her name is Eris, and she's running from uh, from two Jem'Hadar warriors, actually a grip of Jem'Hadar warriors. And they kind of appear like they come out of warp and cloaked when they run. Yeah. It's a fun they're, effect. They're, they have predator cloak. Yeah. It's that same, like... Uh, you know, concentric people shapes mm-hmm. cloak. And uh, and they're kind of, they're gray and they got teeth coming out all over their faces. And, yeah, they um, look pretty ferocious. Yeah. And uh, to Cork's cre- credit, he maintains the, uh, the lie that uh, there's two alphas there on this planet, which uh, enables them to be abducted without the Jem Hadar going and finding Jake and Nog. So Jake and Nog come back to the campsite and find that the campfire has gone out and that Quark and Cisco are nowhere to be found. I'm telling you, Jake, something's happened to them. Cisco is not answering his phone. They're they're not sure what to do. In order for this episode to work, you must forget entirely about uh, the Jem Hadar's sensor capability. Because (laughs) later on, you recognize just how powerful that shit is for them. And either they choose to disregard Nog and Jake after this, or they're unable to pick them up. Right. If you're trying to establish these these soldiers as like merciless killers that are just a force of of will, Nog and Jake should be in so much more trouble than they are. (laughs) They should be the people in the brig. I completely yeah. agree with you. Like it, we see things the Jem Hadar do later on in the episode that make you acutely aware of how terrifying they'll become. But I think if you start with their interest in torturing kids, uh, right? I mean, that could start us off in that direction. And and it makes them such a bigger threat for Cisco, who, right. you know, like for uh, a dude that has lost his wife, yeah, to. The Borgs, like, how do you make a threat bigger than the Borgs? Yeah, I have an idea. Yeah, I completely agree. You put another family member in jeopardy, and all of a sudden, you see someone, I believe, who has acted rationally from the start, completely lose it. And that is a version of Cisco I would like to see here. So, we get to see Cisco and Quark and Eris in the custody of the Jem'Hadar, and they've kind of put them in a Superman 2 <laughs> circle. You three criminals have been caught in a further act of seditious treason. And uh, it's it's the same idea as the force fields that they have in, in the brig. 
except for if you touch this force field, it's lethal. Except for we will never see the force field. Instead, we will just see a light up ring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, you see it a little bit when they turn it off and on again, I think. Don't you? I don't remember ever seeing the effect, but I could be and probably am wrong. This is a great moment in the episode for doing a little backstory, though. That's for sure. So so she's got the uh, the chest beam and they've put like a flea and tick collar on her that will prevent her from using it. I really liked the way her hair, there's very top toppy lighting in this scene. Like there's yeah. one source of light that shines down and the way the way her hair works, it casts like prison bar shadows on her face. Yeah. Which was which was such a great like I it's very hard for me to imagine that this was totally intentional and not just a happy accident that they discovered when she got to set in her in her uh, alien hair and makeup. But it's a great effect, and it's uh, it really serves to make them feel penned in, despite the fact that they're in a big room. You know, it's like her hair is a cookie bin. <laughs> what? Are you familiar with that tool? You mean that- like the 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 that you put in front of a light? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that is like a point two percenter. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So they, I mean, like they have this idea that if they if they take the the collar off of her, she can use her telekinetic ability to break them out. But in the meantime, it's, that's going to take some time to break. And in the meantime, uh, they get to know her and get to know the story about her. Um, this, this isn't the first time we've gotten a strangers in prison scene tng did this a few times right and she makes the case right away at how lethal the gem hadar are to the degree that that she sets the table stakes right away she's like touching the force field will kill you attempting to break this lock off of my neck might kill you and me and my attempt to use psionics while wearing the collar could be lethal as well and all of this is uninterrogated yeah, there's uh, an unhealthy amount of lack of skepticism. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, but they need her, and I think that's I think that's how you establish that's how you shortcut trust in a situation like this. Yeah, their and only way out think, is going to be her psionic ability. I think it was an Outer Limits. Remember when they rebooted Outer Limits in the '90s? I do. I love that show. There was a there was an Outer Limits episode where a guy was like in jail with a lady i want to say and she was like really like sad about being in jail and he said like oh like our our space force is all like assembling on the other side of the sun and they're going to attack and we're, we're going to be rescued and it turns out that she was one of the bad aliens in disguise yeah you know uh that's sort of the storyline here like she presents as an innocent woman who comes from a planet that the jemhadar laid to waste because they resisted the the founders and the dominion and uh they believe fully that they can you know offer her asylum on the station and that that would be what she would want yeah she's starting to shade in the color of this this series of relationships in the gamma quadrant w slash r slash t the gem hadar the dominion and the founders right they also meet uh, one of these gem Hadar who comes in and uh, he, uh, you know, he turns off the, the field and 
enters the circle with them and explains to Cisco that uh, the founders and the Dominion have determined that they are no longer interested in anyone from the Alpha Quadrant entering the Gamma Quadrant and that uh, they're going to be imprisoned to serve as, as an example for the Alpha Quadrant. He's really kind of an asshole about it too, which adds it, insult to injury, I think, because yeah. he, is, he is like deeply disappointed that he did not meet Klingons. What's that weapon they're so fond of, the Batleth? And instead is stuck with a Ferengi and a human as his first uh, relationship with someone from the Alpha Quadrant. He seems to know an awful lot about them, and they have never heard about him, so... Yeah, like, you know. almost as threatening as their as their physicality and military power is, like, when someone knows so much about you and you don't know anything about them, that's also uh, terror-inducing, I think. Yeah, Cisco has been caught with his pants down and is trying to negotiate his way out of it, and it's not going great. And uh, Quark is like, oh... Let me uh, let me step in here, and uh, you know I've I've got some uh, some business negotiation. I've got some business arrangements with members of the Dominion. Maybe uh, maybe you'll listen to me. And he gets like chucked across the room. I'm not going to do any permanent damage. That'll teach him. This guy is not here to negotiate. Like he is so un- uninterested in any of the things that Quark and Cisco have to say that. One almost wonders why he came in the first place. He's the only Jem Hadar that we really get to know in this episode. Yeah. He kind of speaks for his people. His name is Talak Talan. Meanwhile, Jake and Nog have, have have done a little bit of a walkabout trying to find their parents, and they and they come upon a base that they see from the outside. And having seen it crawling with Jem Hadar people, they realize that they won't be able to get to their parents like this. It's right. a very fast interstitial scene that they give them. Like, I feel like this other storyline is told as efficiently as possible in order to give maximum amount of weight to the A story. Efficiently and maybe even sloppily. Like, when they're looking at the compound through the bushes, they're just standing there. Like, if a Jem'Hadar turned 30 degrees to the right, they would see them, you know? <laughs> they're not really under any kind of cover. It's just... It's sort of production ignoring the truth of the script in a weird way. Yeah, it's also, I mean, this is something you see sometimes in action movies where there's there's an there's a safety to ignorance. Like you just come upon something that was there and dangerous the whole time, but having not known about it until you get there, you right. operate with a with a kind of divine safety. And that that's kind of what happens here with Jake and Nog up to this point. Yeah, so they beam back up to the runabout, and uh, their their idea is head back to the station and get some help. I um, love this kind of inside baseball here, Ben, because like I've thought a lot about, could you just get onto a runabout and drive it somewhere? What does it take yeah. to do that? It's like a kid trying to open their parent's iPhone and not having the, the passcode. It's like... Ben Sisko has the the keys in his pocket, and it's one of those like push button start cars that, <laughs> like the keys out of proximity. Yeah, it becomes clear that if they're going to get anywhere, they need to turn off the autopilot. The autopilots lock them out. Oh my god, the automatic pilot—it's deflating. And that's trouble. There's a lot of trouble. Like they they also detect a Jem'Hadar 
warship taking off from the planet's surface and going to warp. Unclear why that ship didn't take any interest in the runabout at all. Evasive maneuvers! Fire phasers! Lost torpedoes! And escape pods! <laughs> but I guess we can headcanon it as being whatever made them uninterested in killing or capturing Jake and Nog in the first place. <laughs> I guess. It, that is really hard to take. Yeah, the... um. So they they get to they get to work like tearing the ship apart and they are working on pulling the autopilot out of the guts of the ship. But meanwhile that Jem'Hadar ship shows up at Deep Space 9 and uh our uh our Jem'Hadar buddy from the cave kind of without without warning beams himself aboard the ops section and kind of announces the intentions of the Dominion for the first time. It's a real power move, Ben, to bring your tick-class starship through the wormhole <laughs> and then, like, beam right through the shields and then, like, do that walk through the confinement beam that he does. Like, Yeah, I liked the confinement beam. I, I wish I wish we'd seen that more in previous Trek. Like, yeah. you know, when a, when a Borg shows up on the ship, you know, throw the confinement beam on him or whatever. Yeah, he is uh, unimpressed by their technology. Which he is a fairly terrifying situation. But like non-verbally, which is great. Like he never he never verbalizes his uh, his disrespect in that way. He just sort of drives and walks through it. Security team to ops. Here's a list of vessels we've destroyed for violating our territory. He's just pouring their offered Klingon wine beverage all over the floor and... His attitude is like, hey, neighbor, uh, I, I've, I got tired of your cat walking through my lawn, so <laughs> now, I, now I'm keeping him in my basement. Yeah, he's now strung up in my basement. Yeah. Um, he gives Kira like a manifest of all of the Alpha Quadrant shit they've destroyed, and among them is new B- Bajor. Like the, like the Bajorans have established a colony on the other side of the wormhole, and they dead. One of the things that is emblematic of their death is the idea that this information is presented on a Bajoran pad. Like, yeah. ouch. Dick move. Yeah. I like this, though. Like, this is, I mean, I mean, I don't like it, but I think that this is the writers using Kira for, like, what she's good for. Yes. You know? it's, uh, it's the thing that we talk about all the time when her opinion is left out of a conversation, that it should be the most important opinion in uh finally finally we're getting emotional stakes for her and not just for cisco you know she's the dramatic equivalent of keenan thompson on snl like you, <laughs> you need to get kira reacts as right. as a thing fairly often because she can really uh she can really hold the stakes of the story together with just a look. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm in a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. Stuff starts happening pretty quickly here, right? We got uh, Cisco and Quark working real hard on getting the dog collar off of Eris. We got Jake and Nog digging the autopilot out of the Mekong's navigational equipment and then, like, you know, like a 14-year-old who's never had a driving lesson attempting to drive the, <laughs> the the runabout back to the station, like not knowing how to use the 
manual transmission yeah. and like really grinding on the transmission and so. <laughs> it's a pretty fun scene and they're kind of uh they're kind of bangered around inside as yeah. he makes this attempt. But on Deep Space Nine, the uh the Galaxy class starship the Odyssey is back from patrolling the Cardassian border. And uh Captain Keo is there to kind of be the voice of uh voice of Starfleet and um it feels really good to have a a picard type you know there to help solve the problem it's great to see a galaxy class pulled up to station that's for sure i was not happy to see captain keo firstly because his reputation up until now in the episode was that he was a total ass (laughs) and secondly is that he looks exactly like mike pence to me (laughs) <laughs> so I, I saw every decision he made through that lens what are ethics he's got mike pence eyebrow that's yeah. his problem like from the middle of the head up yeah which is where the eyes are despite the cognitive bias against that yeah he's got mike pence hair and mike pence brows every time somebody says something's like that's not true I love all the colors in the Crayola box. He's t- he's there to talk strategy and ops with Dax and O'Brien and Kira and Bashir, and everyone's very deferential to him. Like, when there is a Galaxy-class captain on the station, like, everyone stiffens up. Yeah, but he's that doesn't stop him from kind of being a dick to everybody. Yeah. Like, right. They're like, we want to we come, we want to get involved, we want to help save the commander. And he's like, well, you guys don't know shit about combat. I mean, no, no offense, but O'Brien and Kira are the only ones who've ever done anything. And the doctor's like, what about the Mayquees? Mayquees? And he's like, those idiots? I don't think so. <laughs> For the poison you just drank, Dr. Jones. <laughs> Yeah, this moment and the moments right after this raised the second biggest question in the episode for me, which is the relative capability of a runabout compared to any other ship. Because the plan they come up with is sending the Odyssey through the wormhole with two runabouts. Yeah, they're like uh, they're like the fighter escort for uh, for like a jumbo jet, you know. Yeah, their ability has been in question, I think, on screen up until now. But in pretty short order, we see what they're able to do. They seem like maneuverable and pretty capable combat ships. And uh, we've got Bashir and Kira are on one ship, and O'Brien, Dax, and Odo are on the other runabout. And then we've got Keo on, uh, on the Odyssey, which uh, Odyssey has a much shittier bridge than the Enterprise. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I mean like not a bad bridge but but smaller and you would think that ships of the same class would have similar sized bridges. This is bizarre to me Ben because the Enterprise D bridge exists. They wouldn't have <laughs> torn it down by this moment in time, right? And it's right across the street. Right. Like and and you don't need it for anything. So like go ahead and repaint it. Like do permanent changes to it to make it the Odyssey Bridge. If I thought you want. it was weird. Like they shot a bunch of the Odyssey Bridge super close up, like in singles and two shots. Right, I, they're I not feel, revealing that much of it. I mean, you don't even need to to take the Enterprise D Bridge and and light it for TV completely. You could just take the the areas you need. Strange choice. S- strange choice. And so this convoy of runabouts and starship. <laughs> Meets 
Jake and Nug as they as they lurch out of the system that they were in. And uh, this is a big relief. Like O'Brien beams over and uh, takes over at the helm. And uh, I I thought that it was a little a little weird that Jake didn't warn him about all the shit that they like disconnected <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before he did that. But uh, but uh, yeah, this turns into like a pretty a pretty exciting and complicated space combat scene. Right. And it's a little bit like the end of a Star Wars movie where there's like a space combat scene intercutting with action on the planet because Cisco and Quark and Eris, like, you know, they get the, the collar off her and she knocks the the uh, detention ring out of commission and then they get in some Star Trek fights with Jem Hadar as they escape, which is like surprisingly easy given the uh, terrifyingness of these warriors. Um, they have not had too many double-handed axe handles yeah. dropped onto them, clearly. They haven't attempted yeah, they... this form of fighting yet. Wow, that's like a pretty sick move, dude. <laughs> Do those horns always play when you make contact? <laughs> those little animated biff sock pow yeah. things? Is that every time you punch somebody? Or <laughs> The Odyssey gets the worst of the combat. Like the, you know, the smoke and the jets of fire coming out of the computers and everything is like pretty much in full effect the second the gem had our warships take off and uh so the, the the race against the clock is like keep these warships busy while o'brien goes and rescues uh uh quirk cisco and eris and uh nice of nice of him to beam the third person up that they're running with not knowing who she is like they don't have any communications with the service or anything but uh you know it's touch and go get him back just in time and they're heading back for the wormhole when a Jem'Hadar warship just goes in ramming speed and takes the odyssey out this was a pretty rugged moment in an episode that had 20 minutes of really rugged stuff in it seriously like this this combat scene is really intense and like there's you know, there's scenes where you're like in a runabout, like POV from inside a runabout, and you see another runabout like swoop in overhead, and they're like tailing a Jem'Hadar tick, and like hitting the hitting the Jem'Hadar nacelles with their phasers and stuff. There's you know plasma leaking out of one of the nacelles on on the Odyssey. There's explosions on the bridge of the Odyssey. There's fire. There's you know action on the surface, and then when this ram happens. The model effects are awesome. The yeah. like the chunk of of the lower hull that it, it that gets taken out, and like and then that like fragment of debris that hits the right nacelle. Like the it's it's a really like devastating destruction sequence, and uh, and it really hits. I think it was really smart for this them to pick a galaxy class starship for this right. sequence because it hurts to see one blow up. It you know? always does, and I think this is only the third time we've ever seen one explode. What have we got? We had the Yamato, and then yep. we had all those times we saw the D explode in uh, in that uh, Groundhog yeah. Day episode, and now here. Yeah, and I thought it was so interesting. They like the camera pans to Kira for the emotional impact of this of this explosion. You know. Like it's it's Bashir shielding his eyes, and then the camera pans, and it's Kira doing the gulp of 
what have we gotten ourselves into? One of the things that serves the scale of destruction here really well is I think they're sh- I think they shoot the galaxy class ship differently with all the runabouts around. Like you really get a sense of its scale in comparison, and they yeah. do a lot of foreground background with the runabout in the foreground and the galaxy glass in the background just looming large. Yeah, it's huge. It really helps, and it's a, it's a relationship of scale that you don't really get in TNG because that Galaxy-class ship was pulling up next to Excelsior classes or, or ships of equivalent size. Yeah. And I think that really sells its destruction later on in terms of, of just how big of a blow that is. They did a great job with it. And uh, it's it's all by way of demonstrating how far they're willing to go like that's cisco's interpretation of this act like o'brien is like what was the point of that we were all retreating to go home like why why suicide run somebody who's in retreat Mm -hmm. and uh that's just there to make the dominion that much scarier right the jemhadar don't care if they live or die as long as it advances their goals like it's one thing to fear an enemy who has superior firepower but it's another thing to fear an enemy that you don't understand. Like, that's making decisions that, that don't seem rational. Right. And so... And the Jem'Hadar are both. Yeah, the Jem'Hadar are all kinds of fear. A well-designed baddie. Yeah. It's fucking great, man. Now what the fuck are we supposed to do? So they get back to the station. And they're all piling off the runabout. And uh, Quark says to Cisco, hey, uh, Mr. Cisco, see me after class. And uh, when everybody else is gone, he says, hey, I got something to tell you about this dog collar. And um, they uh, like smash cut to the op section where they're like welcoming Eris to the station. And Cisco gets off the elevator with with his dust buster drawn. And he says, like, step away from her. Turns out the dog collar did not have any uh, chest beam prevention technology (laughs) in it. It was just a lock. And it was just there to fool them into thinking that she was imprisoned in the same way that they were. Yeah, it wasn't a pet-containing invisible fence technology at all. <laughs> it's just a well-trained heiress. That's what yeah. you got there. And she beams off. She has the same transporter technology as the Jem'Hadar. She beams off. They have no idea where she beamed off to. There's no ships around. It's got to be terrifying. Like, all the technologies that you've that you have at your disposal just seem totally impotent. Yeah, and uh, we end the episode on a line from Cisco saying that uh, if these animals are going to come through the wormhole and bring the fight to us, this is the front line, and so we need to step our game up. Pretty great end to, to a pretty solid season. Yeah, indeed. More, 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 sweet, more, more, more. You hear, buddy? More, more. stop. Did you like this episode? You know, I have really mixed feelings about it. I think that the idea of starting it as an episode of, you know, step by step and end it <laughs> as an episode of Platoon uh, is better in theory than in practice. And I think that I think that that goofy stuff at the beginning just doesn't play to the strengths of this writer's room. And yet, like, the stuff at the end is so exciting. Like, the combat, the the kind of threat that the Jem'Hadar represent, it's all really, like, juicy plot developments. And 
you know, we talked about like the last handful of episodes of season two feeling like setting the table uh, for for future episodes, you know, like the tribunal episode that we just watched with the with the Cardassians, you know, jurisprudence system and also the mirror universe stuff that we've seen, like the mm-hmm. uh, like we've established a bunch of new stuff about the universe. Now we have two new kinds of aliens that are part of the Dominion and they're both really scary in different ways, you know, like the way that Eris kind of takes people into her trust and then uh, betrays that trust is really scary and the just total insane uh, military capability and also unpredictability of the Jem'Hadar is really scary. And I'm excited. I'm I'm excited for episodes about that stuff. I mean, I think you can have a hopeful TV show about a a good future that still explores the idea of what what would be really scary given the truth. You know, the established truths of that future. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it's not a homogenous universe, and I think it's natural to run into people like this in a great big universe such as it is i'm with you on on the beginning tone versus the end tone this episode reminded me a lot of chain of command but chain of command had the good sense not to begin with comedy chain of command begins and continues all the way through with tension and i wonder what this episode would have been like had it began similarly i mean you don't I think there's a way to rewrite the inciting incident in such a way that, that you could do it. Right. Um, but maybe that's, maybe they had to do it this way in order to, in order to ease that transition into what this show eventually becomes. Do they have to exist in the same 47 minutes? Maybe, maybe that that's why they did it this way. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that the silliness without jokes is the thing that rubs me the wrong way about it. Mm. Like I like it when Star Trek is just, you know, when Star Trek realizes that Star Trek is a little bit corny and has fun with that, I don't really have a problem with it. No, me neither. But I think when they try and do bits and they're just not funny, (laughs) that's when it doesn't work for me. Right. And I think this is a little bit too much on that side of the line. I really like the episode if what I'm describing in that is is the last 30 minutes. I mean, yeah. it's a real tone setter, hopefully, for what's to come. And this is a version of this show that I had always wanted, that I had always heard about reputationally. Yeah. And so it feels like we're finally here and and things are have changed forever in a way that, that I'm into. Yeah, there's not a lot of episodes of TNG where things have changed forever. And yeah. we're starting to get those... Uh, fairly frequently with Deep Space Nine. I mean, Kai <laughs> Kai Wynn is is another example of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that changes all the time, Ben, is uh, our Priority One inbox. You want to check those out? I do. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income. Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first Priority One message is of a commercial nature. Hey! Goes like this. 
I discovered The Greatest Generation when starting a podcast of my own. I was, and still am, able to consider viewing Greatest Gen for hours as valuable training and research. That makes it a tax write-off. Right, yeah, that's one of those things where you're really going to have to talk your accountant into it, but... (laughs) On we go. Contributions to the greatest generation are not tax deductible as far as I know. My current producer is returning to school. If you have podcast production skills and want to earn some supplemental income, DM me on the Twitters at Lithium Podcast. Whoa, you can make a you, you can make money making a podcast? Supplemental income? <laughs> supplemental. <laughs> it's extra income, Ben. I love that about this. It's a P1 that uses P1 drop material right in the copy. Hey, Rob, don't apply for this job. <laughs> every, every, I would encourage anyone to apply for this job except for Rob Schulte. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i all for Rob's, 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 Rob's getting all the work he can get. But uh, I, I don't want it to come at the expense of the great work he does for us. <laughs> Indeed. Hey, how about uh, how about this this lithium podcast using Greatest Gen as their own personal LinkedIn? That's nice. I dig it. Um, Good job by them. Oh yeah, uh, I'm I'm looking at the uh, at the Twitter account. This is uh, Emily Hirsch, Global Lit- Lithium Podcast, the best, the worst, the first, and then she says, "Friend of Desoto." I'm uh, I'm winking and finger gunning right back at them. That's, nice to see those great. friends of DeSoto's making podcasts. Ben, when we were in line after the Las Vegas show, uh, I think one of the more memorable fan interactions I've ever had was with someone who said uh, that they took our advice and found a friend and made a podcast and mentioned that it was one of the best things that they've ever done. And that is yeah. the ultimate. Love hearing that. Well, if you if, if you want to produce a podcast and learn about the valuable mineral lithium... Which is the battery material at the heart of so many of our modern electronics. <laughs> or so I understand from an episode of Nova I watched recently. <laughs> Reach out to at Lithium Podcast on Twitter. All of your sea battery powered products <laughs> filled with no, lithium. Come on, Adam, you know that sea batteries are made out of an alkaline material <laughs> or or nickel metal hydride. Right. If you if you go for the rechargeable variant. I retract it from the record, Ben. <laughs> Our second priority one message is from Major Kira Norris via Andy K. It is for display on all DS9 message boards throughout the station. <laughs> wow, that's a well-timed, give, I mean, given Quirk's want in this episode, this is a well-timed uh, P1, huh? I mean, speaking of timing, let me get to the body of this message. Top five reasons why Donald Trump is Quirk. Number one, loads of failed business ventures. Number two, investigated by Odo for multiple crimes and calls it fake news. Number three, racist to shithole sectors who don't spend latinum at his bar. (laughs) Number four, tweets about no collusion with the Orion Syndicate. (laughs) And number five, ears are bigger than his hands. And uh, also included as a bonus number six, doesn't deserve to be Grand Nagus. Wow. I've taken my blue note card, uh, tapped it on the desk in a Letterman-esque fashion. (laughs) That is our top five list. Adam, can you give us a uh, throw it into the set of New York City behind you? (laughs) Already done, Ben. 
All right. I love I love hearing that little glass shattering sound effect. Yeah. I love any time uh, we get to use Letterman drops on this show. Yeah, seriously. Any thoughts on how many Spider-Mans fit inside of Jamba Juice, Adam? <laughs> God, I miss him. <laughs> I know. I mean, we try to stay off politics from, for the most part on this show, more because I feel like we want this show to be a break for people who are terrified about the current political situation and don't want it rubbed in their face 100% of the time as it feels like we are these days. But I kind of agree with basically everything on here. Well, I also don't like to satisfy people who are in favor of what's going on with my sadness and disappointment. Yeah. So I, I just keep that shit off the streets. Yeah. Here's the thing, Andy K. We are happy to uh, to take your your uh, Jumbotron money. Uh, we uh, genuinely agree with your message, but uh, let's uh, let's let's try and treat the uh, the Jumbotron section like a bar where we don't talk about religion or politics. You know, I can get with that. And uh, you know, let's take better care of each other going forward. I can definitely agree with that. So, if you would like to send a non-political, non-religious priority one message you know what to do get over to uh, maximumfund.org slash jumbotron it is a hundred bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message hire a podcast producer it's a great way to support the production of this program and yeah no hard feelings andy that's not what i'm saying and all that for i'm just saying uh just we learn something from this too gotta get that get that gold press You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill 
a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda Take important stuff, stack it up Doesn't give a fuck, everybody's drunk And Tasha Yar's getting robot humped Ben, 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 no! Drunk Shimoda Drunk Shimoda The drunkest Shimoda to me, Ben, was Captain Pence And I'll tell you why <laughs> Here's the scene Pence is in command of his ship and bangers are raining down on him ferociously and he remains there to give cover for the rescue mission that needs to happen. Yeah. He gives O'Brien five more minutes to finish his milk run and <laughs> to me, this is an Admiral Hansen level strategic gaffe. I think <laughs> he's got to know he's got to know he's in mortal danger. He has got a ship full of kids in the saucer right now. What is didn't he they, doing? Uh, didn't they offload non-necessary personnel? I think it's fucked up that he drives that whole galaxy class into this area of space and then remains to give time for three or four people. I think yeah, strategically How much, how much more kick-ass would this sequence have been if they'd separated the saucer and also been fighting with that? Yeah, I agree. You got to do something besides fight uh, symmetrically here. And I don't understand 
how Pence was given the command of this great ship if this is his strategic thinking in this moment. So I thought it was it was infuriating and disappointing and <laughs> and Hanson like in every way. So uh Captain Pence is my Shimoda. What about you, Ben? Duh. It's Jake and Nog. What is what does drunk Shimoda do? He pulls out all the isolinear chips. Yeah. What do Jake and Nog do? They pull one out and it starts a warp core breach. I know. Ben, I saw this as too obvious, so that's why I chose against it. I was hoping that you would choose them as the drunk Shimoda because obviously they are they're the artist rendering of the drunk Shimoda. Yeah, they're they're Deep Space Nine's permanent drunk Shimodas. Yeah. For doing this. And uh I don't care if it's obvious, Adam. I'm here to make the most obvious jokes. <laughs> well done, Ben. Ben, I'm here to ask what the next episode is of Deep Space Nine. What do we got coming up? Next episode is Season 3, Episode 1, The Search Part 1. And I'm going to flip it up and read the Netflix description first. Preparing for possible invasion by the Hadar, Kira determines that Deep Space Nine lacks the firepower to defend itself. <laughs> Whoops-a-doodle. <laughs> of course, uh, the way Amazon describes it, hoping to avert an invasion, Cisco takes his officers into the Gamma Quadrant to find the leaders of the Dominion. Which episode would you watch, Adam? <laughs> I don't know. I may take the one that sounds like something happens. <laughs> well, that will be the one we watch on the next season of The Greatest Generation. Do you want to... Uh, do you want to talk about board game? How do you feel that the board game has gone? Uh, I feel like we may have been uh, doing too much drinking lately. <laughs> I think that is, uh, that's both me having just come back from Vegas saying that, and also uh, in just a brief lookup of uh, how maybe our last 10 episodes have gone. Yeah. Well, uh, we are, we're presently on square 80. Which uh, which puts us in range of of maybe only one square that that could that could cause any sort of problem, and that's the cot and the nebula square, which requires us to do uh, no notes, a no notes <laughs> episode, which I don't think we've ever done in the two hundred and twenty some episodes of this show. Yeah, uh, that is. Uh, I mean, like I think to to follow the not just the letter but the spirit of that square. I would not be able to have the episode open yeah. either, which I always like scrub around in the episode while we're talking about it. Fairly terrifying square. <laughs> uh, shall we uh, roll this uh, six-sided and see what we're up to? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right. Don't craps out. I am relieved to say, Adam, that I've rolled a six. Whoa, big roll. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Uh, that puts us in square 86, correct? Sure does. And that is a so, regular-ass episode. It's a regular-ass episode, which is proximate to one of the space buttholes at square 87, which would take us back to the Quark's Bar on square 24. Uh, also in striking distance of square 90 which would be a Quark's Bar, or 92, which would take us to a Quark's Bar mm. uh, on s square 72. This is a really fucked up square where the next roll has a 50-50 chance of us getting drunk. Wow. 
And uh, unlike the Quarks bar we saw at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention, ours actually really pack a punch. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, the uh, I think the last the reason that we've been drinking so much lately is mostly because the last time we recorded a Quarks bar was the first of two we recorded successively. Yeah, and. Uh, Boy, was I hammered for that second of those two episodes. <laughs> I didn't think that was a bad up. I thought you did good. I mean, I'm I'm great drunk. <laughs> Better drunk than you are sober. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next episode, normal episode, and the first of season three. Looking forward to it, Adam. Yeah, you and me both, Ben. Another thing I always look forward to is folks going online and talking about the show, recommending it to their friends. Hitting the review section. Hey, I didn't uh, tell you I did this, but I got our show listed on Spotify. So if you Whoa. Uh, use Spotify to listen to things, the Greatest Generation is on there now. And I'm working on getting Greatest Discovery and Friendly Fire on there as well. Hey, so, thanks for uh, doing that. Hey, no problem. We're also uh, on Twitter. Adam is there at Cut for Time. I'm at Benjamin R A H R. Use the hashtag Greatest Gen to tag the show and talk about it. And uh, you know, if any any app you use to get the show, uh, give it a heart or a star or five stars, whatever whatever the recommend setting is on that app, and that really helps us. One thing I came away from the con thinking is that for as lucky as we feel about the size of our audience and about our relative level of success as podcasters, uh, we are still very anonymous to the larger Star Trek community. So I would really love, and by saying that, what I'm saying is I saw a lot of people at this convention that I think would really enjoy our show. So totally. uh, If you have friends who roll in the convention community or in the larger Star Trek community, community tell them about our show we'd love to have them as part of our uh, friends of desoto tent i think it's yeah, a great place be to really be fun. and i think they'd be happy to be here we got to thank adam ragusia who does all of the music for our show and dark materia for the original picard song kindly let us use that song after we uh <laughs> cavalierly started a podcast using it as the theme uh <laughs> thanks to both of you and uh, thanks to the folks at MaximumFun.org who help uh, help us do this every week. And uh, anybody else we got to thank, Adam? Got to thank the card daddy, Bill Tilly. Oh, yeah. Making cards after every episode, meeting us at Star Trek conventions now. Yeah, he gave us, uh, he gave us actual hologram cards of Greatest Gen Con, which I was really excited about. Best in the biz. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode. Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that just got back from the salon. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.